Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Friday. It is the end of the week. I think it's time to party. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday. It's Friday night. Wanna be, wanna be a Friday night. I don't care about you. It's Friday. I'm in love. It's Friday, and it's Ross Kaminsky on KOA, 8.50 a.m., 94.1 FM, and on iHeartRadio. Everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody wants a new romance. All right, good morning. I'm Ross, and I have to say I'm... Um, I'm a little displeased with the way my day is starting because I just... I just got an email from listener Alex who says, uh, I'm sorry to intrude on your 10-minute countdown ritual. All right, but you did anyway. Uh, your girl Dana Perino was on Gutfeld last night. There was a segment on Frenchies because I had told you that Frenchies are now the most popular breed of dog in America. Of course, we were way, way ahead of that curve because we've had Ruben for seven years. But anyway, uh, there was a Frenchie segment and Ms. Perino stuck a pin in the love balloon of Frenchie adoration, it was a one-liner and it was classic. So I emailed Alex back to ask him exactly what it was that Dana Perino said. Oh gosh, do we really have to? Do we really have to start our Friday that way with Dana Perino dumping on the best breed of dog? Unbelievable! Absolutely unbelievable! So many things to talk about. Oh, let's let's talk about this. Princeton. How about Princeton in the uh, March Madness? Isn't that nuts? Did you hear? Did you hear about this? Princeton, fifteenth seed in their part of the bracket, beat the second seed Arizona Wildcats fifty nine to fifty five. Yesterday, I, you know, I'm not a huge college basketball guy, but I do like making a few bets and doing a few brackets and stuff. Wait, hang on, A-Rod. I need to raise my chair up a little bit. Okay, go ahead. So uh, anyway, congratulations to Princeton. They've done this kind of thing in the past. They've always had this kind of, this, and I don't know whether they did this yesterday, but in the past, they were kind of well-known when they had some success in the NCAA for, for playing a very, very slow style of game that would just frustrate the other team, the other team usually, I mean, in a way you might say the team with more talent on it, but if you lose, then can you really say you're the more talented team? I don't know, but doesn't happen very often that a 15 seed beats a two seed and they did it by uh, running off nine straight points at the end of the second half and ended up stunning the Arizona Wildcats. And the last time that Princeton did this, was something like 25 years ago. And what was interesting about the story, I don't have it in front of me, I think I'm going to have this right, is, is that the guy who is the coach of Princeton now was playing on Princeton's team the last time that 
they did this. Now, check this out from CNN. All the planning and preparation for many has been blown out of the water with number 15 seed Princeton shock victory against the number two seeded Arizona. And um, yeah, did I? I hope I didn't say Arizona State. It's Arizona. And th this is, check this out. According to NCAA March Madness Twitter, only 0.065% of the millions of brackets that have been completed remain intact following the Tigers' upset. Now, yesterday was the first day of the tournament, right? So there's, lots and there's gonna be lots more upsets and lots of people's brackets are gonna be busted. But a lot of people might have had Arizona not just to win this game, but to win the next game and the next game. Who knows, maybe to win the whole tournament. You know, so when you knock a number two seed out uh, early like that, that is that is really something. But let's think about this. 0.065%. So that is, uh, that is six ten thousandths. Is that right? Six ten thousandths? One over point, what would that be? Zero, 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 six, five. I think I, if I'm doing that math right, I hope I don't have an extra zero in there. Anyway, so that's either one out of 50. Yeah, so I, it, it sounds like um, maybe only one out of every 15,000 brackets would have picked Princeton to beat Arizona. All right, uh, enough of that. I just thought I'd mention it briefly because it's a cool story. Uh, so... Here's another one that just showed up on my radar this morning. It was actually published yesterday, but my friend Greg just texted me to, to, to point this out to me. So I used to live just outside of Nederland, Colorado, which is a little mountain town in the foothills west of Boulder. And Nederland is a cool little town. It's really an old school hippie town, has a lot of history in the music industry, very famous musicians played at a place called Caribou, which is kind of sort of part of Netherlands. And, and so it was very, very big in the, in the 70s and 80s in music. And it is a cool little town. And it's a, it's a hippie town, right? It, it's... All right, so it's not far from Boulder, but, the, but Boulderites are the kind of left-wingers where if you disagree with them, you're not just wrong, you're bad. Nederland, I don't even know that you'd exactly call them liberals or leftists or something, but to the extent that they they are that, and, and certainly they vote left, but they are the libertarian wing of the left, which is to say they are the, let's have no wars, let me smoke my marijuana, and mostly leave me alone. And I don't really want to engage in a political conversation with you. It's kind of the libertarian part of the left. And so when I lived up there, even though I didn't live in town, I lived near town, um, it was fine. It was fine. I, I think I told you the story once once before, but I'll, I'll mention it again just because it's a funny story. So I was in the supermarket in Netherlands, does have a decent supermarket, and I was... Um, I was 
actually, let me back this up. I'm going to talk about the other guy, from the other guy's side of the story. So I, I was getting some work done at my home. I had a long dirt driveway and it was getting all rutted from the rain and the snow. And a guy was coming over with some kind of earth grading equipment to just fix up my driveway, which we needed to do every few years. And he was in the supermarket. I ended up in the supermarket later in the day. He was in the supermarket and somebody asked him, what are you doing today? And he said, I'm doing the driveway at such and such Magnolia Road. So that was why well, I used to live on Magnolia Road. I'm doing the driveway at such and such an address on Magnolia Road. And the, and the person in the supermarket said to him, isn't that the Republican? And I thought that was a really funny story. But they, they didn't really hate me the way Boulderites might. They're just like, that's an odd creature. You know, they, they looked at, uh, and I, I might have been a Republican at that time if it was very shortly after I m moved to Colorado before I became unaffiliated. I might have been a Republican then. Uh, it might have been after that, but still I probably had a Republican yard sign out front or something. But it was, uh, so, so that's Nederland, and it's a very lovely town. And Nederland was famous for having frozen dead guy days. And we had frozen dead guy days every year except during covid and it's, a, it's just a giant party in town with food and drink and people selling stuff. And then contests like frozen turkey bowling and frozen fish tosses and coffin races where people will dress up in costumes like in gorilla suits. And they have, they'll have a team. And, and you'll have a team of like, let's say, uh, maybe five people or seven people and and. Four or six of them are carrying a coffin and then the seventh is lying in the coffin and you have to run a race basically as pallbearers carrying this coffin around a race course while wearing a gorilla suit or something like it. So those are the coffin races. They also had the polar plunge where you jump into the lake slash reservoir up there in the ridiculously cold water at about 8,300 feet. And it's just so much fun. And there was always controversy about it because Frozen Dead Guy Days is actually about an actual frozen dead guy. Grandpa Brito, B-R-E-D-O. Uh, I, I don't have his last name. I'll probably find his last name here at, at some point. Um, yeah, M More Stool. That's it. M-O-R-S-T-O-E-L. More Stool. That, that's his last name. So... In 1994, way before I got to Colorado, the folks up there figured out that a guy had put his dead grandfather on dry ice with the hopes that advances in medicine would be able to bring his grandfather back to life later. At the time... There was no law about this. The town wrote a law saying you can't store dead bodies in our town. But as the Wall Street Journal puts it, Grandpa Brito was quite literally grandfathered in. So he's the one dead body allowed to be stored in town. And shortly before we moved away from Nederland, or we were on Magnolia, like I said, just outside of Nederland. Our mailing address was Nederland, but we weren't in city limits. Um, I learned that my next door neighbor 
had the contract to keep renewing the dry ice on Grandpa Bredo and keep him frozen. The grandson who put the grandpa on ice was deported years later, again, according to the Wall Street Journal, deported for overstaying a tourist visa by 14 years, has been paying locals for decades to keep his grandfather frozen by trucking hundreds of pounds of dry ice every few weeks to a storage shed where he is now enthroned. And what I'm saying is my neighbor had that contract, which is kind of funny. But there was always, or at least often, a fight between the family and the city because there's money to be made in this big party. And the family wanted more of the money. And the city said, sorry, you don't have property rights on our frozen dead guy days just because it's your grandpa. The three-day festival always began with a parade of hearses and an evening blue ball where attendees competed to be crowned ice queen and grandpa. Mm-hmm. A frozen t-shirt contest would test participants' ability to unfold and put on a rock-solid t-shirt. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So. So. The big news, and this is what the Wall Street Journal is talking about. Tiny Netherland was horrified at first when it learned a resident had cryogenically preserved his deceased grandfather. But now it's grieving the celebrity corpse's possible move to Estes Park. Uh-oh. Netherland has lost the Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival to its more touristy neighbor, Estes Park. And Grandpa appears set to follow. This is bad for Netherland. Frozen Dead Guy Days, not only does it bring in a whole bunch of money into that town in, you know, the, over the course of, let's call it a long weekend, more or less, but it's also just a funny story that people talk about and it gets people to talk about this town. And then when they're nearby, they're like, oh, let's go check out that funny little town that has the frozen dead guy. But now it looks like it may be going away. It may be going away. In previous years, festival operators have offered tours of the shed on private property in the hills above the town, though they keep the box housing the frozen man Closed. Hmm. A particularly large post-pandemic crowd last year irked even some of the festival's most ardent supporters. It was a warm week, so melting snow made for a lot of mud and parking was a mess. Stephanie Andelman, a marketing director, one of the few longtime Frozen Dead Guy Days organizers to continue working on the new Estes event, called the festival's move a grave loss. I get it but a result of it outgrowing the town's infrastructure and organizational ability. She says it got big enough that you had to have a professional and Estes Park has hired professionals. None of them have been to Frozen Dead Guy Days, but they know how to run events. Ugh. All right, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. I, I you know, I'm... Nederland was the first... Well, I, I briefly lived in, I guess you would call the Boulder County foothills, but... 
that that house uh, that is technically Netherland, even though it's not in the city limit, was the first home I ever bought in Colorado. And, and Netherland remains a special place in my heart. In the next segment of the show, we're going to talk with Mike Johnston, who is running for mayor. And you'd have to say he's one of the front runners for mayor right now. Yesterday, we learned that Kwame Spearman, who's been on this show, he is the co-owner and CEO of the Tattered Cover Bookstore or Bookstores, ended his campaign for mayor yesterday. He endorsed Kelly Bruff, who used to run whichever chamber of commerce it was that she ran. I get them all confused, but anyway. Um, Jamie Gillis, who we've had on the show because I think what she ran for mayor was several years ago. Yeah, she was the runner-up in 2019. She was Kwame's campaign treasurer. And according to Nine News, it says she was blindsided by his decision and conduct. This was the decision made by Kwame alone, not the campaign, she posted on Thursday. I was not aware until the last moment it was happening, and I do not support how he handled this or who he endorsed to say I'm disappointed is an understatement. That's interesting. Now, Kwame Spearman is not a Republican, but the positions that he took in this race were very hard line against crime and against homelessness, and I liked his positions a lot. He's also very smart. He went to the same college I went to, and then he went to Yale Law School. And if you sit down and have a conversation with Kwame Spearman, you will know almost immediately you're talking with a very, very smart guy. But he just wasn't getting any traction. I think he didn't have the name ID. I also think that in a city as liberal as Denver, even though Denverites are sick and tired of the crime and homelessness and all that, I think they were not quite ready for a message as aggressive as Kwame Spearman's as far as what he would do regarding crime and homelessness and all that. Now, according to Nine News, and this, is, this was published yesterday, so I don't know whether there's been an update yet, but as of yesterday, Spearman had not yet filed a motion to withdraw as a candidate, meaning that even though he said he's not in the race and he endorses this other candidate, if somebody were to vote for him, the votes would still count unless he officially drops out of the race. If he officially drops out of the race, ballots have already been mailed. If he officially drops out of the race and people vote for him, then those essentially go as an undervote. And you would end up, if you were one of the other candidates, having your measured percentage of the vote being modified upwards by removing Kwame's votes from the denominator of what percentage you got. But here's another thing that I wanted to go through with you, even if you don't vote in Denver, right? I mean, it's especially important if you do, but even if you don't, we're all watching this. It's Colorado's biggest city. It's Colorado's capital city. And we all care 
even, you know, especially those of us who live in what you might call the Denver metro area, even if we don't live in the city limits, we care about what happens in these elections. And I got a little bit of information yesterday from a very, very nice person over at the uh, Denver clerk and recorder's office. And I had a couple questions that I should have known the answers to, but I didn't. And so I wanted to share the answers with you in case you don't know either which I shouldn't assume. I shouldn't assume you don't know just because I didn't know, but I didn't know, so here we go. Denver does have an election structure that has runoffs. So some places, the winner of an election is whoever gets the most votes, even if nobody gets 50% plus one of the votes, right? So there are some places where if you had five candidates running for office and, you know, somebody gets 30 and then the next person gets 20 and then the next three split the last 50% somehow. There are some places where the person who had the most, in that case, it was a 30% vote getter, wins the election and wins the office. And there are other places, and Denver falls into this latter category now, okay? Denver is one of the places where in most elections, but not all, and I'll explain this in a second because it's quite interesting. But in most elections, municipal elections in Denver, you have to have 50% plus one to win. So if nobody gets 50% plus one and nobody's going to in the mayor's race, I'd be pretty surprised if anybody gets, I don't know, 20, I'd be very surprised if anyone gets 25%. I'd be slightly surprised if somebody gets 20% because there's 17 candidates. That, well, Spearman has dropped out and I don't know who else is going to drop out. But, you know, and their names are still on the ballots even if they drop out. But, you know, if you, let's say there's 12 candidates, 10. Let's say there's 10 candidates. Not going to be that easy to get 25 or even 20%. Anyway, in Denver, the top two finishers will then go to a runoff. So in Denver, in these elections, an election can always have a runoff if there are more than two candidates and obviously cannot have a runoff if there are only two candidates because if there's only two, somebody is, I mean, there's not going to be a tie. I don't know, okay, I don't know what the rule is if there's literally a tie. There is probably a tie-breaking procedure, and I should find that answer and get it to you. But here's the one other thing I wanted to make sure you know because it's kind of interesting. For the at-large city council seats, there's no runoff. There are two at-large city council seats up for election in Denver in this election, and there's a whole bunch of people running to be at-large they are all in one pool. There's not a bunch running for one of the seats and a bunch running for the other. They're all in one pool. And whoever the top two finishers are in that race from that pool win the seats no matter what their percentages are as long as they're the top two. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Mike Johnston running for mayor of Denver. Kurt offers securities through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., member FINRA SIPC, and advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Centennial Capital Partners are not affiliated. All right, I have told Kurt Cambier to be very careful as he's in Boulder today doing something. So we've got the fabulous Cam Cambier for Friday's Fun Fact or Quote or Something. Hey, Cam. 
Hey, Ross, how you doing today? Happy Friday. And uh, yeah, you know, fun fact today is actually a wild story that took place recently. So a woman who owned a Volkswagen pulled it onto her driveway, took one of her children inside, and then came back for her two-year-old son. And as she returned to the vehicle, a BMW pulled up behind her. A man got out and forced his way into the car with her and the child. And he physically attacked this woman, and he knocked her out of the ground and to the, uh, to, out of the car. And before, what he did is he ended up stealing the car with the toddler inside still. And, of course, this turned into a big deal. And during the search, detectives actually called Volkswagen to help request to track the stolen car vehicle via something called CarNet, which is essentially a suite of mobile-connected services that allows drivers to do things like lock their car remotely or map their vehicle's location. But unfortunately, there was a delay as Volkswagen would not track the vehicle with the abducted child until they received payment to reactivate the tracking device in the car. And as a detective reportedly explained the gravity of the situation, to no avail. In the 30 minutes it took to make the credit card payment, authorities had already tracked down the vehicle and the missing child. So this had a happy ending at the end of the day, but obviously it could have been a lot worse. So is the lesson that the company that was running the system were a bunch of jackasses, or is the lesson keep your payments current on that kind of system? You know, I, what I think it actually amounted to was bad training because they, Volkswagen essentially said, hey, we've had these kind of issues before in the past, and we have a procedure in place that if it ends up being something with the authorities or an emergency that it gets escalated and taken care of. But I think, uh, unfortunately, the, the representative that took this call was not properly trained on that procedure. So, uh, like I said, thankfully the child in the car ended up being okay. Wow. Um, but good, goodness, uh, in those kind of situations, uh, minutes count for everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Folks, um, Kurt and Cam Cambier are thinking about everything going on in the world. And I don't know if a story about Volkswagen is going to affect your finances, but, and I mean, I mean this seriously, you never really know what's going to affect your finances. And that's why you got to have the right plan in place. And that's why you got to work with Kurt and Cam. I want you to get started at K-U-R-T-C-A-M-B-I-E-R.com or by phone, Cam. That's 303-271-1067. Give us a call. We'd love to help. And everybody stay safe this weekend. Have a tremendous weekend, Cam. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks, Ross. It's probably suboptimal to have to work from home in the closing days of a campaign where you are running for office, but such is the position that Mike Johnston finds him in today. So Mike is joining us from home rather than from the campaign trail. Mike Johnston has done a lot of interesting things in his life. Last time he was on the show, we talked about how he ran a high school inside a juvenile prison. He's also been a state senator. He is running for mayor of Denver. And I think the world knows, I think this already, but I'm just gonna say it. On the one hand, Mike is well to my left. On the other hand, I have always found Mike Johnston to be smart, honest, and 
open-minded and actually listen to other people, which doesn't mean he does necessarily what I want him to do, but I know he's listening when we have conversations and I always appreciate that. Mike Johnston, welcome back to KOA and how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you having me on all the time and grateful to be on with you this morning. Uh, okay, my colleagues wanted me to ask you one question related to the fact that you're working from home today. I guess you found out you were ill right after the last debate and they wanted to know whether you've been in touch with any of the other candidates to see if anybody else caught anything or if you caught it from them or whatever. <laughs> I did notify them. Uh, I didn't really start feeling sick until yesterday, but I, um, uh, out of an abundance of caution, took a test and was surprised to be uh, positive, and so I let them know. Uh, and so I, I don't know anyone else that's been sick. I don't know who I got it from. Yeah. Um, but I just started feeling it yesterday, and so was extra cautious. So I'm feeling feeling uh, much better today, but being cautious, so I'm, yeah, locked here in my basement. Okay, let's move on from that. So I don't know if endorsements matter, but I suppose almost all the time it's better to have one than not to and the denver post endorsement is a fairly big deal in in denver and you got that endorsement for mayor what should we think about that uh, yeah i mean I, I we were really excited about it on multiple fronts i mean yeah there's there are uh, it's really the only major um uh high profile newspaper endorsement and i think in a, in a crowded field like this when there are a lot of candidates people look more to third party uh endorsers than they might otherwise to make sense of a crowded race um and i thought it was possible they might you know endorse multiple candidates and so the fact that we got the endorsement and we were the only candidate that got it and i thought it was quite a forceful endorsement i think it makes a good case to people of all uh dispositions that i'd be the right steward for the city for the next decade and so uh very very excited about it. I think we've gotten very good momentum from it and feels like it's captured a lot of what we've seen out on the trail, which is a real groundswell of folks from every part of the city coming on board to the campaign. This could be the first time in a long time that I can imagine an endorsement actually making a difference. And I'm not saying that by way of cheerleading for you or anything. I just think there were 17 people, I guess there's fewer than 17 now, and it was just so crowded, nobody was really separating themselves, and this is at least a small thing that seemed to have given you a little a little nudge forward, I, I, I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who've said the same thing. There are some places where endorsements maybe don't make a big difference, right? In a Trump-Biden race, does a newspaper endorsement matter? Probably not. Um, but I think in a race like this, a lot of people have said this might be the highest you know, impact endorsement in the last decade, and out of politics because it is such a crowded field. So many people looking for uh, information from sources that they think are neutral. And so um, I do think that it has an outsized impact and we're very excited about uh, the momentum we're getting from that impact. Folks, if you want to learn more about Mike and his campaign, Mike Johnston for mayor, and there is a T in there. It's not Johnson, it's Johnston. MikeJohnstonForMayor.com. Let's talk issues for a second. I saw an interesting piece over at Axios's website yesterday, the headline is some Denver mayoral candidates call for more control over schools. And they quote you as talking about the school board's behavior as, quote, more of a public embarrassment than a source of pride. And I do uh, make a personal sport out of uh, beating up Tay Anderson on this show. But what where are you on the specific question of more control over schools for the mayor? And what does that really mean? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things I've laid out that I think 
uh, matter. There are direct ways we can build partnerships with Denver Public Schools. I do think that the city can be a better partner and more aligned over some of the things that we know we share interests with. And so the two big ones for me there are how do we support uh, Denver students in getting access to after school and summer school programming that we know is not just really helps close achievement gaps, but helps get kids access to positive peer groups and keeps them out of negative peer groups. For a lot of us, you know, the the tutoring or the debate club or the sports team or the arts program that you joined in middle school and high school had a lot of influence on who you became as a person. And in today's day and age, a lot of those programs require you to pay to get into them. And so kids that can't pay often can't get into them. And so I think that's one place I'd want to expand a partnership with DPS. The other is we do know there's a real uh, need and access for mental health support in high schools, particularly around the city. And we don't have enough supply uh, of that for kids that need it. And so I would work with the Denver Health uh, and the school districts through these behavioral, uh, through health clinics on site to help expand that. And the third is I do think the mayor just has to use the platform of the city to be able to both support the district when they're doing the things we think are good and to hold the district accountable when they're doing things that we think don't make sense. Um, you know, I've come out and said, I think that, you know, I, I spend time with the East High School students after the shooting at East High School. And when I've talked to students and parents and teachers, it's clear to me that there are schools in Denver that want um, to be able to have school resource officers back in their schools. I was a school principal. I, I, I chose at that point not to have one in my school because we had a social worker instead. We were in a different place. I think if you are a school principal right now who is seeing escalating rates of violence in your school community and you want a school resource officer, you ought to be able to choose to do that. And so I think there are places like that where I will I will publicly push uh, for what I think is the will of the voters if that's in disagreement with the will of the school board. So you anticipated where uh, my, my next question on that. So do you know of any existing authority for the mayor to put an SRO in a school if the school board hasn't voted to have SROs in schools? You know, I've talked to some officers about that, and I've talked to um, some of the school leaders about that, some of the school leaders who are desperate to want to get SROs back. Uh, and I think there would be a place to find uh, a solution on that, you know, whether it is detailing officers outside the building um, where they can provide security. I think DPD would want to help. I think the mayor's office wants to help. But, you know, I'm optimistic that I think the school board will come around and see that this is the will of parents and of and of students and of teachers. I think they have an obligation to support those people. And so I'm I'm optimistic that would they, they would come to that decision. But for me, that's one example where, uh, you know, I have a job to represent all of the voters and all of the parents in the city and county of Denver if I'm elected the mayor. And if they're, you know, I hear more and more concerns about people worried about their kids' safety. Um, and I think we got to work together to find a solution on that. And I'm delighted to work together in ways that we can. Um, and in places where we get stuck, I feel like as a mayor, you got to find a way forward, even if even if we're not on the same page. Right. All right, let me just say broadly to listeners, uh, folks who call me asking to be on the show if they're running for mayor in Denver, um, I, I've said yes to every single person who's asked. Uh, I, I asked as an experiment, I asked Leslie Herod to be on the show, and I was uh, the reason I asked was I thought she'd say no, and they did. <laughs> so that tells you what you, a lot of what I think I need to know about that particular candidate. I'm not going to use any other any other names, but I want folks to know that Mike Johnston is on because he reached out and said, I'd love to be back on with you. Other mayoral candidates have the same opportunity. Mike, I want to give you the last 29 seconds and do keep it brief to voters who vote in Denver. Why should they choose you? Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, Ross. I think, you know, for me, it's about who is a leader that can help 
build broad coalitions across the city to try to deliver on the biggest problems that we have. We need to be able to take on the challenges surrounding folks who are homeless in the city. We need to be able to make sure we keep Denver affordable, and we need to be able to uh, increase public safety and reduce crime around the city. And that's going to require someone who's built broad coalitions in the past, like I've done, in bipartisan ways to get big things done, and someone who's an executive with experience and knows how to run a city of this scale. And I think I'm uh, the right candidate to be able to do that. I think the Denver Post endorsement gave real uh, reaffirmation to that, and we're excited to build the coalition to win, and we would love people's support. Mike's website is MikeJohnstonForMayor.com. That's the word for F-O-R, not the number. Mike, thanks for being here. Get well soon. Hope to see you in studio in person in the not-too-distant future. I look forward to it. Thanks again for having me, Ross. Glad to do it. We'll be right back on KOA. Take care. Good morning. It's Friday. I'm Ross. Uh, This topic is a little bit heavier than I usually do on a Friday, but I just want to make sure to get this out there into your brains right now. So you know that I am uh, politically unaffiliated, meaning I'm not registered with a particular party. And you know that by philosophy, I I am libertarian or objectivist. Not that many people know what objectivist is, so I tend to call myself libertarian because more people understand that. And, And what that means is that I generally want, I'm gonna just make it as 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 simple as I can. Not because not because you can't understand something complicated, but because I, I find it useful just for myself to, to simplify. I, uh, I, I want as little government involvement in my life as possible. And so what that means is on economic issues and business issues and taxation and regulation and things like that, I want minimal amount of that stuff. Now, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not saying there should not be any taxes. I'm not saying there should not be any regulation of any sort. I'm not making that argument. That's anarchy, and that's not what I support. But since I support low taxes and limited regulation and limited government on all that economic stuff, it makes me sound like a conservative when we're talking about economics. And sometimes people will text me and and say, Ross, you sure sound like a conservative to me. I don't understand why you say you're not. And I think part of the reason a lot of people think I'm a conservative when I'm not is that I'm generally not very motivated by social issues and I don't spend a lot of time talking about them. And I I am very motivated by economic issues and the Constitution and all that. And I do spend a lot of time talking about them. And on those, I sound like a conservative because my views overlap with conservatives. But when you get to social issues... And again, keeping in mind that my goal is minimizing government influence in my life... When we get to social issues, I'm generally for drug legalization, for gay marriage, pro-choice, although, you know, I can live with restrictions on abortion at some point through a pregnancy. It's not, it's not the hill I'm going to die on. But I'm just talking about generally minimizing the government's role in my life in every aspect. So when it comes to the social issues, it makes me sound like a liberal. And when it comes to the economic issues, it makes me sound like a conservative. And I want to make sure you understand that what's going on in the state legislature in Colorado right now is not just liberalism on social issues, right? I am mostly with the liberals 
most of the time on social issues. I'm not shy about saying it. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm not going to back down if you don't. Just like you're not going to back down if you believe something different. It's fine. We're all allowed to have our opinions. But what's going on in the state legislature is truly radical on a whole bunch of issues. But I just want to mention one. This is Axios. Colorado wants to cement its status as a safe haven for women by making abortions and contraception free. A Democratic-led bill that advanced Wednesday at the state capitol would, would, would require most health insurance plans to cover medication abortions, contraception, vasectomy, and treatment of sexually transmitted diseases without any out-of-pocket costs. Also, it would allow girls as young as 12, 12 I said, to receive contra contraception, including long-acting methods like IUDs, and abortion referrals without notice or consent from parents. Other provisions provide abortion coverage for illegal aliens. Now, there's a lot more to say about this, but I don't have time to say any more right now. I just wanted you to be aware of it. If you want to go look it up yourself, you just go to the Google machine, machine and type in SB, which stands for Senate Bill, SB 23, which is this year, dash 189. SB 23-189. Read it for yourself. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, Ross Kaminsky. On KOA. 8.50 a.m., 94.1 FM, and on iHeartRadio. All right, good morning. It's Friday. Let me tell you what I'm going to do this weekend, because this is super nerdy, but it just tells you a little about me, I guess. So, my wife is taking one of my kids on a road trip for spring break, leaving over this weekend. My other kid is actually in a different school district, not just a different school, a different school district. And so the other kid doesn't have spring break at the same time. But that other kid is kind of, you know, likes to do his own thing, doesn't really want to hang out with dad all that much. Uh, that kid can drive. So, so what I'm actually going to do is... Tomorrow afternoon, evening, I'm going to go over to a friend's house who just got some really awesome new stereo speakers. And I'm going to go over to a friend's house and we are going to hang out and eat food and, and just listen to music and drink bourbon. And it turns out that his wife is going out of town for something else. So I'm just going to stay in a guest room so I can drink bourbon and not have to drive home and just listen to a bunch of music and some other guys might play, come over to play poker, but I'm just, oh, I'm so excited to just nerd out listening to music on a great stereo with some fine whiskey, 
Sounds like a perfect Saturday evening to me, and I hope you have a perfect Saturday evening as well. I, I want to follow up on a story that I just heard from David Kale. I didn't know that this story had hit the news until David just talked about it. So thank you, David. And I'm going to go to the Associated Press for this. ICC issues arrest warrant for Putin over Ukraine war crimes. The International Criminal Court said today that it's issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin for war crimes because of his alleged involvement in abductions of children from Ukraine. The court said in a statement that Putin is, quote, allegedly responsible for the war crime of unlawful deportation of population, in this case children, and that of unlawful transfer of population, again in this case children, from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation. Let me see. I don't know if there's more in here. Yeah, let me let me keep going. This is a very important story, actually. And I don't know how many Americans have really heard about this. Hopefully there's more detail that I'll get to in the article. This is one of those like breaking news things that I'm sharing with you without having read it first myself. But one of the things we know that's been going on in the war is in eastern Ukraine, in the areas where Russians have control, what they've been doing is stealing children from Ukrainian families and deporting them to Russia and basically adopting, adopting them into Russian families and, and trying to turn them into Russian kids. And it is part of their plan. It is part of Vladimir Putin's goal to depopulate Ukraine, essentially, so that for another generation or two or forever, they'll have fewer people and they won't be able to defend themselves. Also keep in mind that the part of the country that they're stealing the children from are is is largely populated by russian speakers i mean they probably speak ukrainian too but in that part of the country many of the ukrainians there have grown up speaking russian as their first language not just their second language as their first language so when they steal the children and send them into Russia and put them in a Russian family, they can already speak the language of the Russian family. Maybe a slightly different accent and that, or little hints of differences in dialect, but basically the same thing, right? Like if you stole an American kid and sent him to Canada or maybe to England, right? They could speak the language. Sound a little different, but speak the language. So let's keep going with this. The court's president said in a video statement that while the judges have issued the warrants, it's up to the international community to enforce them because the International Criminal Court does not have a police force of its own to enforce warrants. Quote, the ICC is doing its part of work as a court of law. The judges issue arrest warrants. The execution depends on international cooperation. A possible trial of any Russians at the ICC remains a long way off as Moscow does not recognize the court's jurisdiction and does not extradite its nationals. And obviously, Russia is Vladimir Putin is not going to extradite Vladimir Putin. Russia, uh, Ukraine is also, by the way, not a member of the court, but it has granted the ICC jurisdiction over its territory. And an ICC prosecutor has visited four times since opening an investigation a year ago. 
They said there are reasonable grounds to believe that each suspect bears responsibility for the war crime of the unlawful deportation of population and transfer of population, as I just described. And let's see. Um, I don't think there's much else. The, one last. The sweeping investigation found crimes committed against Ukrainians on Russian territory. Um, also found crimes committed against Ukrainians on Russian territory, including deported Ukrainian children being prevented from reuniting with their families, a so-called filtration system aimed at singling out Ukrainians for detention and torture and inhumane detention conditions. So why does this matter? So first of all, it doesn't matter very much, but to the extent that it does matter, it is in the context of significantly increasing the risk of Vladimir Putin if he travels out of Russia, and in particular if he travels into either North America or Western Europe, where there is a chance that you might have the national law enforcement agencies in those places tasked with enforcing the ICC's warrant. So... What this might mean is that Vladimir Putin, who doesn't leave Russia very often anyway, will just leave Russia a little less often than he used to. So there you go. There's that story. Thank you, David Kale, for bringing that to all of our attention, including my attention, because I hadn't seen it before. All right, let's do a little finance. So one of the largest money managers in the world is called BlackRock. There's also a company called Blackstone. They are different, BlackRock. And BlackRock has, gosh, how, how, however much money they have under management, and I don't know how much it is, but they have some number of trillions with a T, not billions, trillions of dollars under management. This company is unbelievably large. Just in, now I'm reading from their letter to their employees and investors and anyone else who wants to read it. Over the past five years, they say that they have brought 1.8 trillion dollars of more assets into their own company to be managed, okay? So they brought in 1.8 trillion just in that time frame. Now they've lost money in some investments, but it's still, I just want to give you a sense of how big this company is. Now, one of the things that I wanted to, to share with you not specific about BlackRock, but I wanted to give you the context of who BlackRock is so you understand how serious Larry Fink is. Larry Fink, the guy who runs BlackRock. I think he was a founder of BlackRock. Just, so I just want to give you a sense of what a serious dude he is and how his opinions about things related to economics and markets are based on real information. In this same investor note, his ch annual chairman's letter is what it's called. He's got a section about banking and money that I wanted to share with you. It's not that long and it's written in pretty plain English 
And I think it's interesting and I think it's important. And I'm a finance nerd. So I think this stuff is really interesting and I hope you do too. So that heading of this section is called the price of easy money or the dominoes starting to fall. Since the finance, and I'm quoting now from his letter, since the financial crisis of 2008, markets were defined by extraordinarily aggressive fiscal and monetary policy. As a result of these policies, we've seen inflation more sh move sharply higher to levels not seen since the 1980s. To fight this inflation, the Federal Reserve in the past year has raised interest rates nearly 500 basis points. So in plain English, that means 5%. A basis point is a hundredth of a percent. This is one price we're already paying for years of easy money, and it was the first domino to drop. Okay, so let me interject before I continue with his letter. What he's saying there is what the Fed is doing by raising interest rates so much so fast lately is intended to solve a problem or multiple problems that were caused by the Fed earlier. Well, by the Fed and by the federal government as well. Somewhat the Trump administration, massively the Biden administration, and the Fed enabling all of their insane inflation-causing spending that we are all suffering for in a huge way. And the Fed has a very limited set of tools when it comes to trying to raise the rein this stuff in. It's kind of like the proverbial guy whose only tool is a hammer, so to him every problem looks like a nail. It's like that. All right, back to Larry Fink. Bond markets were down 15% last year, but it still seemed, as they say in those old Western movies, quiet, too quiet. Something else had to give as the fastest pace of rate hikes since the 1980s exposed cracks in the financial system. This past week, we saw the biggest bank failure in more than 15 years as federal regulators seized Silicon Valley Bank. This is a classic asset liability mismatch. Two smaller banks failed in the past week as well. It's too early to know how widespread the damage is. The regulatory response has so far been swift and decisive actions have helped stave off contagion risks, but markets remain on edge. Will asset liability mismatches be the second domino to fall? Okay, so now let me interject with my own commentary again. The Dow was, was up yesterday after a bunch of big banks announced that they were going to shore up a mid-sized bank called First Republic with $30 billion in infusions backing up the deposits in First Republic. And the market kind of liked that yesterday, and the Dow closed up a few hundred points, I think it was. And today it's giving it all back. Right? The Dow is down 370 points at the moment as, as we speak, and the S&P and NASDAQ are down uh, smaller percentages, but still down uh, measurable amounts. And part of what's going on today is some people are asking themselves this question. If those big banks felt like they needed to jump in and save First Republic, well, what does that actually say about how confident we should feel in the stability and liquidity of our banking system right now. Maybe the message that we should take away from yesterday is not so much that we should feel good that there's plenty of support for the banking system, but we should feel bad that people who know what they're talking about thinking the banking system is need in need of some support, especially as over the past few years, we were told time after time after time, don't worry about it, the banking system's fine, even if, even if we have a recession. 
even if we have turmoil in the economy, even if we have this, that, or the other kind of negative event going on, don't worry about it because bank liquidity and, and capital ratios and all this stuff is like the best it's ever been. And way, 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 way better than it was in 2007, 2008. And I'm sure that's true. But maybe it also gave us a false level of confidence. Maybe just because it's better than 07 or 08 doesn't mean that it's good enough that we should think everything's fine. And of course, that's a systemic issue. That's a, a, a macro, you know, 30,000 foot look down. It doesn't mean that every bank is okay just because in the aggregate, some banks or most banks or almost all banks are okay. And if some banks are not okay, then it's very hard to predict with any confidence how that will spread out to other banks. And I, we talked about this before. Bank failures can be self-fulfilling prophecies, right? There could be a bank where if there were not a significant run on the bank, it would be fine and everything would work out and everything would play out fine in the long run. But if people believe that the bank is in trouble and they run for their uh, deposits right now, they come to make withdrawals right now, it can cause the exact kind of short-term insolvency, short-term lack of liquidity that they were afraid of Whereas if they didn't all go to get their money out right now, the bank would end up being fine. But here's the thing. There are a lot of people out there criticizing people who went to Silicon Valley Bank to get their money out, criticizing people who are going to First Republic to get their money out, saying, well, you guys caused this. And all of you who went on Twitter saying Silicon Valley Bank is in big trouble, you all caused this by talking about it and making the fear that then turned into a bank run that then caused the thing they were afraid of to actually happen. And what I would say to you is, to the people who are making that crit critique is, do you want to be the last man standing? Meaning, do you want to be the last person to try to get your money out of a bank that then fails? When you need that money to make payroll or run your business? I don't think it's incumbent on people who have money in a bank to leave the money in the bank if they're afraid that the bank is going to fail. I think that's a really dumb argument. If your business would be hurt if you can't get your money, even if it's only temporarily, then get your money somewhere else. It's not your job to protect a bank. Let me finish up on the Larry Fink thing because I think this is super interesting. Prior tightening cycles have often led to spectacular financial flameouts, whether it was the savings and loan crisis in the early 90s, the bankruptcy of Orange County, California in 1984. Um, in the SNL crisis, it was a slow rolling crisis, one that just kept going. And it ultimately lasted about a decade and more than a thousand small banks went under. We don't know yet whether the consequences of easy money and regulatory changes will cascade throughout the U.S. regional banking system, like the SNL crisis, with more seizures and shutdowns coming, or whether it'll be fine. Larry Fink says it does seem inevitable that some banks will now need to pull back on lending to shore up their balance sheets, and we're likely to see stricter capital standards for banks. So this is what I said earlier this week. I think that these bank failures, even if it's just a few are going to cause the recession that the Federal Reserve won't come out and say that they want, but it is what they want. Because the only way to get inflation down 
is to reduce the money supply enough to crush inflation, and you cannot reduce the money supply, you probably cannot reduce the money supply enough without a recession. So when banks get afraid of investors killing their stock and the bank executives are afraid that they're all going to be out of jobs and all of their pension plans that are 60% in the stock of the bank that they own, that they run, that that's all going to become worthless like just happened to the people at Silicon Valley Bank. They're going to back off on any even marginal loan and, and they are going to restrict the flow of capital into the U.S. business sector and it will cause a recession. That is my prediction. That seems to be Larry Fink's prediction as well. One more thing from Larry Fink. There could be a third domino to fall. In addition to duration mismatches, we may also see liquidity mismatches. And this is what happened in Silicon Valley Bank. Years of lower rates drove some asset owners to increase their commitment to illegal, uh, illegal, illiquid, illiquid investments, trading lower liquidity for higher returns. There's a risk now of a liquidity mismatch for those asset owners, especially those with leveraged portfolios. And that does not have to just be banks. Anyway, uh, that was pretty nerdy, but it's super important. And I wanted you to hear it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Back. Why are you looking at me like that? You will not believe what is playing right now. What, what do you Definitely mean? Definitely the song I was going to use for Name That Tune. Oh, my gosh. Really? Unbelievable. It's okay. I have a backup, but what the All heck? Right. Wow. What is this? Layla. Okay. Well, good thing I'm not using it. because Derek and the Dominoes. All right. Glad I'm not using did, it. When you were doing your research, wow. um, did you go? I'm, I'm, so, for you, real quick, for those insider baseball here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Typically, we can choose songs to bump back with, or our system can auto-generate. That was auto-generated, mm -hmm. and I just happened to get the bad luck of that being the song I was going to use for Name That Tune later. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty funny, though. Did you, when you were doing your research for Name That Tune, yes. did you go look up where this hit on the charts? I, I was kind did. Of, and I what, did. what did you find? It I'm, was... I'm guessing it was not number one, but I, it no. wouldn't surprise me if it was, you know, like numbered, like it could be a high single digit. It was super... Super popular you know, song. I, I was could imagine number eight shocked. or ten. It wasn't. Uh, it peaked at number fifty-one. Really? Yeah, I thought it was going to be higher as well. Yeah, so it was more popular a, than that. A good submission mm -hmm. that will now not be used. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I, I have, a um, have a backup. I got to say, I'm. I, I I feel like I'm quite a curmudgeon sometimes when it comes to music because I feel like sometimes I talk about the things I don't like and and there are so many things I I love. I. I I've never been as big an Eric Clapton fan as lots of other people are. He just, you know, he's he's an amazing guitarist, but I, I just don't love the music that much. And even Layla, I mean, I like it. I'll listen to it. But, you know, like if you were to name my top 100 songs of all time, it wouldn't even be on the list. You are not, from me, going to get clapback 
On that one. On that particular one. No, unlike right. the Elton John awful take. Right. No clap back here. Okay. All right. I don't like the term clap back. It's 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 overused and it's oh, annoying. Well, sorry. Yeah. All right. Let's do Maybe some I'll clap back at that then. Mm-hmm. All right. I think I mentioned the other day the, a story. Speaking of music, a story that made me really really happy. And I'm just going to remind you with a headline and not have any more details, but. For the first time, okay, in 2022, for the first time since 1987, more vinyl albums were sold than CDs. And that makes me super happy. And in a way, I got to say it doesn't surprise me in the sense that I now hear of and from people who are buying records. Uh, I've got, I actually got some new records in the past year for, I don't think... I don't think I've gotten a new record. I don't think I got a new record for probably 20 years or something like that, right? So from, let's call it 2000 to 2020, I don't know if I actually bought a new vinyl album that whole time. They were hard to get. The record companies weren't making them really. It was all CDs and then you get to... But lately, vinyl has made a huge comeback. Which is great. And I, the other thing, though, the, it, it's not so much that the headline doesn't surprise me because of the resurgence in vinyl. The headline doesn't surprise me because I don't know who's still buying a CD. Like, they don't even make CD players. Generally, they don't put CD players in cars anymore. And I no longer have a standalone CD player in my stereo system at home, although I do have a computer that has a CD drive in it. So if I have a CD that I want to play, I could play it from that. But what I do is I rip, it's called quote unquote ripping. So you make these digital files out of the CDs and you store them on your hard drive and then you play them from computer files and then you can get rid of the CD and you never have to touch it again. So I'm not surprised by that headline, but I I enjoyed it. Here's an interesting one as well. And I I suppose because of what I do for a living that I'm, I'm happy to see this headline. And I'm trying to think about whether it surprises me or not. And, and I think it doesn't, I think it doesn't. So this headline is from a website called inside radio, which is a quote unquote trade publication, right, about radio, about the radio industry. This just came out a couple of days ago. Headline, are you listening, A-Rod? Because this this applies to you. In historic first, radio beats television among 18 to 49-year-olds. And they quote some guy who's a big shot at a different radio company, so I'm not going to name the company and I'm not going to name the guy. But he, he says that, we're seeing media history being made right before our very eyes. And this report from Nielsen, which is the big player in ratings, in radio ratings, Nielsen really kind of owns that industry. And I can't really talk more about it than that. I'm not supposed to talk more about ratings kind of stuff in any specific way. But in their new report, it shows that for the first time ever, AM and FM radio has surpassed television in this key demographic of 18 to 49. 
and that uh, radio had 3% greater average audience than TV during the third quarter of 2022, right? So this data is very backward looking, right? This data is, you know, almost six months old, but still. And they say in this article, it's never happened before. And in part, this is happening because 18 to 49 year olds are just really not watching much TV. They're doing cord cutting. They're streaming so to the extent that they're watching stuff on a screen, it's more likely to be one of the various streaming services, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, all of these. I don't want to like seem like I'm plugging any one of them in particular. Just there are all these services out there. And many of them show movies. Many of them also are spending an immense amount of money on their own content, right? So exclusive content. Think of Game of Thrones as one of the most successful of all time. The other thing that's happened, though, is that on the, on the regular kind of cable television side of things, for the cable companies to get access to the content is getting more and more expensive, whether they're buying access to the cable news content, whether they're buying access to sport content, sports content, whatever it is, is getting more and more expensive. And of course, those costs get passed directly along to the customers who are watching cable television. And so like my cable TV bill last month, without the internet part, because I use the same company for both, but just the cable part was something close to $150. And I am seriously thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. Actually, I have a, a question for you. If anybody has advice for me, how can I massively reduce, or is it possible at all, to massively reduce what cable television costs me while still having access to the cable news channels that I really need to be able to watch in order to do my job here as a radio host? I, I need to be able to keep up on the news. So what I want to know is, is there a way where I can still see Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and CNBC and Fox Business and stations like that and maybe BBC without having to go through one of the typical traditional cable channels? What's the best way? Text me at 5669. Actually, even better than texting me because I want to take my time and read these things. Email me. Your suggestions on this at ross at koadenver.com. Ross at koadenver.com. I really want your advice because I'm trying to figure out how to reduce my, my costs. But for the first time ever, radio has more 18 to 49-year-olds than television does. And that, and we're talking broadcast TV and cable TV, not necessarily involving streaming networks. And that is just amazing. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. A listener just asked me why I said the word data rather than data. Hmm. I've absolutely heard it both ways. And I uh, just out of interest in your question, I was researching it and it, it it appears that maybe long ago data would have been preferred and some places it looks like uh, data is still the common usage but in the United States data 
is the more common pronunciation. In Australia, also data is the more common pronunciation and has been for a long time, right? If you're a computer nerd and, and you are using that word in the context of computer sciences, in, in my, and look, if you're in that industry, let, let me do it this way, rather than tell you, you know, my limited experience as a somewhat computer nerd. If you're a full-on computer nerd, if you work in the computer science industry, so my guess is, my personal experience is, the word has generally been pronounced data in America for people who have to work with data in the computer science industry. I, but maybe I'm wrong. So I want you to text me at 56690 and tell me, do you pronounce it data or data if you are in that particular industry? Or how about this? I'll broaden it out. If you are in any industry where that word comes up a lot as part of your work, I want you to text me at 56690 and tell me how you pronounce it. And to make it simple, you can write it out in the text at 56690. You can say, I pronounce it like D-A-Y-T-A or D-A-H-T-A. That way you can make it e easy to tell me why are you looking at me like that, A-Rod? You say data, D-A-Y, data? I, apparently I did. Okay. I didn't really notice it, so it must have just been force of habit. I pro it's probably one of those words that I, I probably pronounce it either way from time to time without really thinking about it. But I, I guess I said data, and a, a, listener, a, a listener called me out on it. From so, what I'm seeing via Google on the internet is never wrong. Mm -hmm. It seems as though data is correct, but I definitely always say data. Yeah. Now you would think tomato, tomato. going way back in the Latin singular, potato, potato. It, you know, datum or datum. It, it probably would have been datum back in the original Latin, but I, I think most Americans say data. Do one of the ways make you sound smarter? Because I think data definitely makes you sound smarter. Well, uh, one person says, Data, you just out, outed yourself as a Trekkie because of that character Data in the, f whatever That's that particular- one of the articles I came across, series yes. was called. Um, are you- Data, a, data, 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 are long you A. a Trekkie? Not really. Oh, uh, the, good, the original, right oh, so I'm, I'm a, I'm not Trekkie enough to like go to a conference about it. Right or one of those kind of things, Comic Con. Of yeah, sorts. I'm not that. I'm not like that. But I do love, 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 love the original Star Trek series with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and all those guys. I, I never got very into any of the spinoffs. It's okay. There always needs to be second tier behind Star Wars. So whatever part of Star Trek you like, it's fine. Hmm. I, is, I don't mean to put you on all these tangents. It's just, I, know. I can't help myself. I, I know you can't. And I do think that there are people with strong opinions about what's better between Star Wars and Star Trek. And, and I, there's right people and wrong people. And I will say that when it comes to Star Wars, after, after the first three movies, and I don't mean the number in the title, because the first movie was like episode, what, six? Five, five, six. Four, five, six were the first. Four, three. five, six. Okay. But anyway, what I'm calling just the first three movies, 
Those are the great movies. And then the prequels were terrible. The, the prequels were terrible, except for the last couple of prequels were actually sort of kind of more decent. Here's my take, and this is going to piss you off. Oh, you're already there, but continue. Um, I don't think I could easily pick whether the original Star Trek series is better than the original Star Wars movies. They're, they're both great. They were very different in their times. And the original Star Trek series is much older. And so there you go. Now, I, I, in the interest of time, I'm going to have to leave it there. But if you want to fight with me about it when we come back, we, we can. And anybody who wants to text at 56690 with an opinion is welcome to. And meanwhile, to the person who asked me, who asked me why I pronounced it data, I will just tell you that I think 100% of the people who have texted in so far say they pronounce it that same way, including a database administrator, right? You never say data, well, somebody probably says database, but a database administrator, he said it's data, and I ignore anyone who says data. We'll be right. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back. Hello, Friday. It is the end of the week. I think it's time to party. <laughs> It's Ross Kaminsky on KOA, 850 AM, 941 FM, and on iHeartRadio. Everybody's working for the weekend. I was talking with a person I, who I will not name, who is a member, a Democratic member of the Colorado State Senate. And was talking about this particular bill, it's Senate Bill 23-168, entitled Gun Violence Victims Access to Judicial System. And, and I, was, I was talking with this guy just when the bill was about to be introduced, and I hadn't had the chance to see anything about it online and hadn't had the chance to read anything. And this guy said, oh, Ross, you'll probably be fine with this bill. All it does is put Colorado in line with national standards. And uh, I and as I learned more, I I realized that he was either wrong or lying to me, but uh, very 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 wrong. And this particular bill is a, a disaster waiting to happen. Now, my good friend John Caldera, who runs the Independence Institute, Colorado's own free market libertarian think tank, wrote a piece for Complete Colorado entitled "How the Gun Lawsuits Game." could backfire on progressives, and John joins us now to talk about it. Hi, John. You keep saying I'm your very good friend, but you never lend me any money. <laughs> I keep asking. I know. I and know. you never lend me any money. I never lend you my wife either, and you keep asking for that too. You know what? I'm going to stop asking for that one. 
<laughs> I'm going to ask somebody else. <laughs> Wait, you're going to ask somebody else for their wife, or you're going to no, ask somebody for else wife. for my wife? Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you mind if I go out with Ross's wife? <laughs> no, I don't mind if you go out with Ross's wife. Oh my gosh, people! This is uh, this joke has been going on between me for, and Kelly. Twenty years? Yeah, for about yeah. twenty years. And by the way, I I think I'm getting closer. I think she might be interested. <laughs> I think she might be interested. <laughs> I'll ask her later today. I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> all right. So before we before we talk I'm about, I'm sure she's changed her mind by now. It's only been twenty years. Oh my gosh. Before <laughs> the la- oh my when when you and when you were first hitting on my wife, your let's see, your older kid must have been like two or yeah, at least. And she's, I, she's, tw- she's twenty now. Yeah, and your younger kid wasn't born yet. Yeah. That's how long this and has by been the going way, on. I mean, first of all, kudos to your wife. I mean, a lot of women have a lot of game and play hard to get. Yeah. Your wife has been playing hard to get for for decades now. And yeah. that's that's what makes her so attractive. <laughs> Is that the only thing? Um, <laughs> that's not the, no, you you have a beautiful and smart wife. What she's doing with you, I have not figured out. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's the green card. She's just doing it for the green card. Oh, my gosh. All right, John. Let's get back to the issue oh, at hand. Yes, we're on a radio show. We yeah. are on a radio Not show here. So before we get into your very interesting political analysis about backfiring on progressives and all, can you please explain to the thousands of people listening to us right now what the key parts of Senate Bill 168 are that we need to understand? Understand that we've, we've changed... There used to be this thing when you and I were kids, um, probably more so than me because you're, what, 30 years younger. But it used to be that the ends don't justify the means. And now the ends just justify everything. And so um, how to put it? Think about you don't like being libeled in the press and somebody says something uh, and so you'd, you'd sue the newspaper for for doing something false to you and saying something that was plainly untrue. So you, you, you fire the newspaper or you, you sue the newspaper. Under the logic of Senate Bill 168, you don't sue the newspaper. You sue the guy who owns the printing press or even better, you sue the manufacturer of the printing press that the newspaper uses. It makes no sense. And so... The gun manufacturers are not like big tobacco. They're not like big pharma. They don't have endless amounts of money. They aren't sitting on lots of cash. They're just, they're just machine shops. They're actually pretty small operators. They work on pretty thin margins. And years ago, anti-gun organizations realized we could sue them out of existence. Yeah, we can. they probably won't win in lawsuits, but we can just keep piling lawsuit after lawsuit on them and fighting them off where they'll always win will be able to just put them under. And in fact, they did that with a number of pretty big gun manufacturers. And then more and more gun manufacturers were saying, all right, all right, we'll capitulate. Colt, Colt, you know, the six shooter, uh, the ones who also did AR-15 style guns, agreed to stop selling to civilians. Smith & Wesson was a subdivision of a British-owned company, and they said, all right, fine, 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 we'll, only, we'll, we'll start selling only to police and this and that and the other thing. And finally, 
the federal government and a whole bunch of states, almost all states, passed these laws that said enough. We will say you cannot sue gun manufacturers unless, of course, they make faulty products. If they made a product that was defective, yeah, go sue them for the faulty product. But you can't sue a gun manufacturer because somebody misused their product. Right. That- and I, I, I don't sue the, the, the whiskey company because somebody drove drunk, nor do I sue the car company because right. somebody drove drunk. Well, and think, think about what lawyers do. Lawyers go after money. You remember, <clears throat> you remember the, um, the big tobacco settlements. And they went after tobacco companies. Why? Because they have lots of money. And you remember now the um, suits against, against the opioid manufacturers. Mm-hmm. They have big money because we got them hooked on our product. Well, gun manufacturers don't have that kind of money. And we haven't, those manufacturers haven't got us hooked on anything. There's no addiction there. There's no, you know, let's, let's get them hooked on our nicotine. Lawyers are trying to say that gun manufacturers advertise our products, these products that they sell, in such a sexy, violent way that it glorifies how the guns kill people. And you open up a magazine and you you see something that makes a gun look like it's sexy to kill people or it's only used to kill people. Well, what they're advertising is the benefit of the gun. That is the stopping power of how this gun can be used for defense. Sadly, somebody could look at that and say the same benefits for defense could be used for offense. I make the analogy that that idiot neo-nazi who drove his crowd into a, in, drove his car into a crowd of anti-racist protesters in charlottesville well it was a dodge challenger well car companies are constantly showing the benefit of how rugged and powerful their cars are this guy could look at that and go wow i could use that power to drive into crowds well it's the same thing you can use it for good or for bad that same advertising shows it both ways. Okay, so I want to just dig in a little bit more here and then we'll get to the politics, but uh, on exactly what this bill, which by the way, looks like it's on the way to passing. Oh, it'll pass. um, But who can sue and how under this This bill is is really nuts. This is the crazy part. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Ross. This is the crazy part. So um, let's say... You, you beat me up with your Hoover vacuum cleaner for hitting on your wife, of course. Well, you can, I could, I could uh, try to sue you. I could try to sue Hoover. But I could go to Hoover, and no, no judge or jury is going to say it's Hoover's fault, and it won't go anywhere. But if you shoot me with a Glock, I could sue you. That'll go somewhere. I could sue Glock. It's not going to go anyplace. It's not Glock's fault. But under this law, I could either sue Glock, but if I choose not to, and this is the beautiful part, the AG of Colorado can say, even if Caldera doesn't want to sue Glock or Smith & Wesson or anybody, I, the AG of Colorado, a known anti-gunny, can sue on his behalf. 
And if I, the AG of Colorado, won't sue or don't want to sue, I can designate someone to sue on my behalf. In other words, I can say, you, handgun control or every um, town for gun violence, against gun violence or um, moms against gun violence or some other anti-gun organization, I designate you to sue on John Caldera's behalf in this crime. You go ahead and sue this out-of-state Massachusetts gun manufacturer on behalf of this crime even though I don't want to sue anybody. So what this does is it opens up, opens up this, this way for the AG of Colorado to sue anybody, any gun manufacturer, for any gun use, any crime anywhere, even if the victim of the crime doesn't want to sue the gun manufacturer. So using the libel suit... The Denver Post says something you don't like about you. Ross Kaminsky smells bad. And you go, that's libel. I don't smell bad at all. And are you going to sue the Post? Ross goes, no, it's libelous, but I'm not going to sue. The AG says, you know what? I'm going to sue. Not the Denver Post. I'm going to sue the manufacturer of the printing press. And I'm going to put the printing press business out of business so that there will be no printing presses, printing any newspapers anywhere, no flyers, no coupons, nothing. We're going to put all printing presses out of business, even though the so-called victim, Ross Kaminsky, didn't even want to sue the newspaper or the manufacturer of the printing press. And let me this just is add, insane. It, it is insane, and it gets insaner, if that's a word, because what the bill also does, it, it will allow the AG to sue on behalf of someone who doesn't want to sue, not just the company who made the gun, but anybody who sold the gun, anybody who sold a part that was on the gun, if it's a part that does something that the liberals don't like, and it, it adds just an endless number of people, not just the gun manufacturers. And I think this is important. It adds an insane amount of liability to the stores, the retailers in Colorado, uh, who, who's, and the distributors too, who right. sell this stuff. And, and clearly the intent of this is to make it look like we're going to hold people responsible for bad behavior, but the real goal is to... Make destroy it so an industry. Destroy the industry in Colorado. That's clearly not just, the no, goal. no, no, no. You got that part wrong. Oh, not not just in Colorado. Right. Part. Think about this, because there are no gun manufacturers that I know of in Colorado. It will destroy the gun manufacturers in all states and the gun retailers in Colorado, any and the gun wholesalers in Colorado. Yeah, and the people who sell. Oh, I don't know gun holsters in Colorado and gun grips in Colorado. <sighs> okay. All right, but, but I, I don't want to run out of time for, right. for this part. Here's where it's going to bite them on their buttocks because they are opening up a door that swings both ways while crazy anti-gun emotionalists are in control in Colorado Who's in control of, I don't know, Alabama and Mississippi and 
pro-life, crazy anti-abortion areas. Well, people who believe that the ends justify the means when it comes to saving lives, abortion. So here in Colorado, in other states, we have things like the abortion pill. People are coming into this state to get the abortion pill. It's a two-pill um, uh, way to end a pregnancy. Imagine people come here, they get the pill, they go back to Alabama, they take the pill or give it to other people. That's a crime there. So the AG in Alabama goes, well, we got to stop this. It's a crime here. Therefore, I am going to prosecute. And the victim of that crime, the fetus, says, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to prosecute, but under the new law in, in Alabama, the age, the exact same law modeled after this crazy law, he goes, not only am I going to sue um, uh, the pill manufacturer, I'm going to sue all the retailers and all the manufacturers and the people who made the boxes and the, and the plastics and the pharmacy in Colorado. Before you know it, all these same nuisance lawsuits start piling up. Gun manufacturers, <clears throat> excuse me, gun manufacturers have tight margins. They will go under pretty quickly if, if these lawsuits are allowed to continue. They don't need to, they'll win the lawsuits, but because the legal costs will just pile up and pile up and pile up, they will go under very quickly if, this, if, lawsuit, if these bills are allowed to stand. I, I think you, you're right. I hope you're right, but I also don't think it'll slow them down. Um, and, and we've it seen, it won't slow down the lawsuits. Yeah. Well, and it won't, it won't slow down, right. It won't slow down the lawsuits and it won't slow down the motivation of the left to push ahead with things like this. We, we saw it already in with the right starting this in, in Texas with the law that said, like, if, um, if somebody overhears an Uber driver saying that he took a woman to an abortion clinic that third party who doesn't know anyone involved in the whole story can sue the Uber driver. Um, and then Governor Newsom in California is trying to do the same thing with guns. And so all these just ridiculous the people are trying to commit lawfare. Everything. It's lawfare. So, so progressives who hate guns in Colorado, you're doing this at your own peril. You open the door to this stuff. What you believe is a God-given right, even though it's not in the Constitution, for abortion, don't be surprised when your rights are shut down via crazy lawsuits like what you are about to, ready to do. This is a dangerous, dangerous play. John Caldera's piece for Complete Colorado uh, is called How the Gun Lawsuits Game Could Backfire on Progressives. It's up at completecolorado.com. And to learn more about what the Fantastic Independence Institute does every day to protect your freedom in a whole lot of ways, go to thinkfreedom.org. That's thinkfreedom.org. John, thanks for spending time Ross, with us. Ross, as always, thanks for doing what you do. Yeah, glad to. All right, so, you know, that's a perfect example of how I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, if you, if you weren't listening an hour and a half ago, I, I noted a piece in Axios is talking about a new bill in the Colorado State Senate that would make abortion and contraception free in the state of Colorado, free, which just means other people are paying for it, uh, and 
would provide abortion medications and contraception for girls as young as 12 without parental notification and would make abortion and all that kind of stuff free for illegal aliens in Colorado too. And all of this is of a piece with my contention to you that what's going on in the Colorado state legislature right now is not liberalism, it's radicalism. And the, the problem is that we do not have a functioning Republican Party in the state of Colorado right now in any way that really matters. And the Democrats are going to be in control and we're going to keep getting more and more of this until either there is a revolution. I don't mean a violent revolution. I mean an electoral revolution. Or all the conservatives and libertarians just leave and say to the left, you can have it. And that's becoming my mindset more every day. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, I got an interesting listener email. Listener uh, named Fred was listening to the conversation we had just now with John Caldera about this new Senate bill. And Fred sent an email to his state representative, who is Chris Kennedy from House District 30 in Lakewood. And I'm not going to share with you everything that Fred said to Chris Kennedy, but basically, I'll just share with you the very beginning of what listener Fred said to the state rep. This bill will make every shooting industry business a target for grandstanding prosecutors uh, going back five years. Perhaps it should be entitled the full employment law for personal injury attorneys. Uh, so he, Fred goes on to say a bunch of other things that are, that are true. And I wanted to share with you State Rep. Chris Kennedy's answer to Fred. So before I share this with you, let me just set the context in one other area. Federal law makes it difficult to sue gun manufacturers for anything other than an actual product Defect, And that's as it should be. Most people don't try to sue companies for just their product being used. So leftists and various attorneys were going after gun companies when I, I understand that guns are often used in ways that we wish they weren't, okay? So I'm not defending any kind of crime. That's not my point. My point is, people were suing gun companies because their product functioned, and I mean in a very technical, mechanical sense. Like, you pull the trigger and it shoots around? So they were suing the gun companies because in a mechanical sense, the, the firearm functioned the way it was supposed to. And generally, you don't sue businesses for that. 
we were talking about the guy who drove his car, the the neo-Nazi scumbag who drove his car into that crowd in Charlottesville and killed a woman. People aren't suing the car maker. Why would you? It doesn't make any sense. The only reason anyone would sue the car maker, assuming you could get away with it, it would be if you hated cars and your goal was to put them out of business, put car makers out of business. But that is exactly what the left wants with guns. So Colorado has an additional law, and only a few states have additional laws. Colorado has an additional law that's, I don't know how long it's been in place, where if you sue a gun manufacturer and lose... You must pay their attorney's fees. And I would understand if Democrats in the state legislature said, we don't like that. I would understand if Democrats in the state legislature said, we're going to repeal that Colorado law and we're going to just live by the federal standard. I don't care that much one way or another. The federal standard is already fine and protects gun manufacturers reasonably well. The Colorado law protects them more. But I don't care that much if the Colorado law were to be repealed, but the federal law were to stay in place. That'd be okay. Maybe not optimal. I don't know. I haven't thought about it all that much because the federal law is, is okay. It's all right. And... I had mentioned in the beginning of the segment with Caldera that I had a conversation with a Democratic state senator before this bill dropped, just when we were told that this kind of bill was coming. And that state senator said to me, Ross, you shouldn't mind this bill because all it does is put Colorado in line with federal law. And if that's all it did, then I could live with it. But he lied to me. And the reason why I want to share this with you now from state rep Chris Kennedy is that he, in the same way as the guy I was talking to, Chris Kennedy is also a liar. Here's what Chris Kennedy said to my listener. Colorado is one of a few states that have a liability law that goes beyond federal law by requiring victims' families to pay back gun manufacturers for their legal expenses. Regardless of how you may feel about gun policy and manufacturer liability, I think you might agree that it's wrong to force a family to pay a corporation hundreds of thousands of dollars after they've already lost a loved one. That's the problem this bill is trying to solve, and I support it. So everything up to the last sentence is fine. We can agree or disagree, and we can be honest about it. Right? Honest people can have differences of opinion about whether the Colorado law in particular that exists now should be in place that says if you sue a gun manufacturer and lose, you must pay their legal fees, even if normally the way the case went wouldn't require you to pay their legal fees. We can debate that. But when state rep Chris Kennedy says that's the problem this bill is trying to solve, now he crosses the line into being a liar. I hope someone tells Chris Kennedy that I said this. What this bill is, is a direct assault on the viability of the firearms industry, at least in Colorado, with negative implications for the firearms industry more broadly, with a thin veneer on it of, quote, all we're trying to do is 
have Colorado adhere to the federal standard and we're just repealing this extra Colorado law. So this whole thing about we're repealing this part that would make people pay the legal fees, they are, but that's not really the purpose of the bill. The purpose of the bill is to allow them to claim that that's what they're doing when really what they're trying to do is to destroy the firearms industry in Colorado. Chris Kennedy knows this. The other guy in the state legislature knows this. I'm not using his name because I did not. That conversation was just me talking to a guy who wasn't intended to be on the record. So I'm not using his name. But don't let him get away with this. And I think it's reprehensible when a legislator lies to constituents. Chris Kennedy, be a man, grow a pair, and tell your constituent the truth about what you're doing. If you're going to vote for a bill, be able to defend it. Don't hide behind a lie. We'll be right back on KOA. Good morning. I say good morning. It's almost afternoon. Uh, so let me let me mention one thing to you real quick, and then we're going to do name that tune. I, I saw a, an article talking about a bunch of money that the Colorado Department of Transportation, C, CDOT, is, is spending or handing out in grants for stuff related to transportation with the usual kind of woke spin that we've got these days. And one of them said... $50,000 to the Auraria, so you know that area in Denver near the Ball Arena with the various college campuses, the Auraria Higher Education Center for a pilot program to promote sustainable and equitable commuting for students. Got that? $50,000 for a pilot program to promote sustainable and equitable commuting for students. And so given that I am Ross... I'm very curious about these sorts of things. I actually emailed CDOT and I asked them, what does sustainable and equitable commuting mean? And here's what I got in response. Sustainability in this context is commuting that minimizes impact on greenhouse gas emissions. Hmm. All right, uh, that's the kind of the world we live in right now. I, I, I don't have that much to say about it. You probably know what I, my gut reaction is. Participants will be rewarded for the more environmentally conscious mode of transportation selected when commuting to campus. So I guess they're going to try to push people onto electric this or, or, or bicycles or, or something. And then the one that really kind of got my goat and again, this is from the staff at CDOT responding to me. Equitable in this context is targeting a diverse population of commuter students at the Auraria campus. Let me just say, the Auraria campus is, is actually very well known for being an incredibly diverse population of, I'll call them kids, young adults. You, went, you did some school there, eh, Rod? Yes, I went to Metro State. And is Metro State's only location at Auraria, or do they have other locations? I should know, but I don't. I should know for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's just Auraria. Is it fair to say 
that the Auraria campus by its nature in a city, the blend of schools that's there, that's there is inherently a very diverse population. Very, very much so. This is what jumped out at me when they say they're going to give away $50,000 to promote, uh, among other things, equitable commuting. It would be impossible in this context to promote inequitable commuting unless you actually did something like illegally racist. I mean, by promoting community uh, commuting at Auraria, you will inherently be promoting equitable commuting as if that's a thing. It's really not. And so what I think is going on here actually is that we just have people in these large bureaucracies who feel absolutely compelled these days to use the word equity or equitable or some other form with that root in everything they do to virtue signal to the politicians and other people who are giving them their funding, hey, look how good we are. We're doing equitable commuting. It's, you know, it's not, this particular thing is not evil, but it's dumb. It's dumb. It, it's it's virtue. It's truly unnecessary virtue signaling. But I do want to say, and I mean this sincerely, I want to say thank you to CDOT for answering my question. I appreciate it. Thank you, CDOT, for answering when I uh, when I asked you. All right, we have only a couple of minutes left, and we got to do our name that tune for this week. And A Rod has said that he would like to be the person choosing the song this week rather than having me choose it, even though nominally it was my turn to choose the song. So uh, here's how this works. And I'm going to close down my text window here so I can't see what any of you text. A Rod has chosen a song that was released before the year 2000 and that was at least moderately popular on mainstream rock radio during that time. Now, I just see a corner of Dragon's shoulder in there. Is Dragon playing? Yeah, he's he's been trying it he's since, been, since you're he's been, getting ready for it. Like he's trying it in here because he has to run back to KHO. Okay, all right. He has to run over and keep doing his. He his, isn't getting it. His, his other job. Oh, so Not you've yet. already been playing the song for him for in him. there? Yes. Okay. It's a test run. It's a test run. Okay, interesting. And Dragon's not getting it. Okay, so A Rod's going to play a very short clip of this song, and we're going to try to guess what it is. And you can text 56690. And if you are the fourth person to get it right, the fourth person, A Rod will owe you a hearty handshake or a high five if you get it. You get it right. Okay, ready when you are for the short version, A-Rod. Um, so I think I got that one. So you text 56690 and tell us what you think it is. I think I got it already. But A-Rod, for those listening, hit us with the short version one more time. That and, and Mandy needs to... Put on her, her headphones. I don't know if I have the speaker in here up enough, but uh, go ahead and hit us one more time. Oh, by the way, you said fourth person to yeah. get it? Yeah, the fourth person to get it right. Because I know we actually have something to give away. You, oh, my gosh. We have, we have a giveaway for today that we didn't even do yet. Now we can do it. Oh, let's do it right now. The fourth person... Uh, the fourth person to get it will win a pair of tickets to see Chelsea Handler at Red Rocks. And uh, what is, is that an actual prize? I'm just asking. Yeah, I know. Don't get me started. Uh, what is the date on that? Do you have it in front of you? I don't have. I, I do. Uh, is, is it, it May? Red Rocks? May 10th. May 10th. Okay. So yes. the fourth person to get it right, if you want them, will win a pair of tickets to see Chelsea Handler at Red Rocks on May 10th. Five six six nine zero. Play it one more time so Mandy can hear it. 
I got, I, I actually if you, got if you know this it, don't one. Get, don't say it yet. Yeah, I actually got this one right away. Uh, 56690, fourth person wins a pair of tickets to see Chelsea Handler at Red Rocks on, on May 10th. Um, Mandy's brainstorming, brainstorming. One more time. One more time. Uh -huh. Well, the text line's already got it, so The text shall line's I? already up. Do you have a slightly longer version you can play? I do. Go ahead. I'm just going to let this roll because it's going to get to okay. what's going to make you realize what it is. It's coming. Hey, wait for it. You'll know. And here it comes. All right, I actually got this one in a matter of... Uh, in a matter of moments. So somebody got it right on the text line. Yes. Talking heads burning down the house. Yeah. You don't have any shoulder pads on right now for this. I know. And I have shoulder pads. I've never seen them in concert. Have you? I had the opportunity one time and David Byrne got sick. Oh. And they canceled the show. And then when they rescheduled, I couldn't go. Oh, so my gosh. I would love to see them. But, of course, they don't exist anymore. All right. I, I hesitate to ask you this because of what the answer was last time. But what do you have coming up on <laughs> your show today? I did checking on yeah. the blog uh -huh. before I came in. Uh -huh. We actually are going to talk about Colorado on, uh, unemployment numbers with um, Earl Wright from the Common Sense Institute. And I got a question about the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And I have a question for guys on this one based on the way that they have been evolving the models in this edition. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. a question. I used to enjoy the Sports Suit Swimsuit Edition until the... the uh, evolution? The, the evolution. <laughs> okay. The evo the I, but I have a question about whether or not that is going to change what men believe is beautiful? That is a great question. Yeah. That is a, a great question. I suspect the answer is no, but we'll see. Everybody stay tuned for Mandy's fabulous show. Have a tremendous weekend, and I'll talk with you on Monday. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.